Hi everyone, welcome back to our podcast, Crime Cults and Coffee. I'm Bren. And I'm Kelsey. Do you have and... anything you want to talk about before we talk about our coffee review? Uh... I guess I'll talk about the Raven things and that yeah. since that just happened. I was just gonna say I think you should talk about it. <laughs> so basically, long story short, a couple months ago, all this stuff was happening with Ravens and Crows and me and two of my friends, Kate and Ashley, just like seeing them everywhere. Mm-hmm. And the one day we were talking about it, we were actually at a place called Crows eating. Shout out Crows. <laughs> yeah. Best food place ever. Yeah. And um we had, like, the most insane stuff had been happening, and the one morning, I literally went into work, and my fiancé, Timo's mom, came up to me and was like, so I have to go over to the store right now. There's a crow stuck in the bathroom, the woman's bathroom. Oh, my God. And it's God. just flying everywhere. And then she went there, and it was gone. <laughs> like, that was just, like, some of the weird stuff that was happening. Yeah. So, anyway, fast forward a little bit. We went and saw our medium, Laura... And she told me that I have a new spirit guide with me that's a Native American man. So cool. Yeah, and he, like, he leaves me feathers, and I do tarot, so she was like, the way you do tarot and receive messages through tarot, that's basically what he's doing with feathers to you. Like, they're, Mm -hmm. like, personalized messages, so she's like, when you see a feather, look it up because it's something he wants you to know in that moment. Yeah. So later on, all of a sudden, I remembered the raven and slash crow thing. And I was like, oh my god, I should ask her if this is him sending me this. And Mm I said to her, is there anything with this new Native American spirit guide with ravens or crows? And she's like, have you been seeing them often, Mm -hmm. and I was like, yeah, and she's like, yeah, those are from him. Oh, my God. And it was very strange, because the way she worded it, I don't remember exactly how she worded it, but it was exactly how I had worded it to Kate and Ashley, like, a month or whatever it was before, Mm -hmm. where I said, and I even said, I think it's Native American culture, but I'm not quite sure, where a lot of the time, people see ravens or view ravens as a bad thing, like a bad omen. Yeah. And I said, I think it's Native American culture where they're seen more as a spiritual thing and, like... That's crazy. Um, a sign of things to come, yeah. in a way. I don't remember how I worded it. But she worded it the exact same way. Yeah. And it, it, there, it has to do with my spirituality. And so, anyway, the past couple days... I've been seeing ravens and crows everywhere, and I was at my friend's studio on Thursday this week, and we did, we picked um, tarot cards from a moon deck since it was the full moon. Yeah. Mine had ravens all over it, the card that I picked. I wonder, like, what it means, though. Like, if you're seeing them, but, like, what does it mean? Like, Like, what are they trying to tell me? Like, knowing that they're there, like, your spirit guide is there, or... Like, what is, like, what is the message? Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, and then the next day, which was Friday, which was yesterday, Mm -hmm. um, I was at work, and all of a sudden I heard this weird sound by my window at work, and it almost sounded like something was scratching at the window or, like, hitting the window. Yeah. And I kept looking out the window and, like, looking around, and I didn't see anything there, 
And I called Timo's mom into my office and I was like, do you hear that sound or is it just me? Because I feel like something's like hitting the wall or scratching the wall or the window over here. And then she was like, yeah, that's definitely something. And I look again and all of a sudden this big raven flew out from underneath the window, hit, like tapped the glass in front of me and landed on a car in the parking lot. And then I look like three spaces away and there's three more like massive ravens on top of a van in the parking lot. Oh, talk about last night too when we were driving (sighs) home. Oh my god, I forgot about that! (laughs) So then we were driving home last night and all of a sudden we see something dead in the road. Like in the middle of the road. In the middle of the road and we look and it's a big black wing and I was like, that was a fucking raven. Like uh, the wing was like black and like sticking up out out of the ground, sticking up, yeah. Yeah. And then just now, right before we were going to record for you guys, I look out the window and sitting in the tree, right outside the window on a branch, is a raven. Like, the only branch that's, like, in our view. Yeah. And it was a raven sitting there. So, I don't know what is trying to be told to me, but... But it's something. Yeah. I don't know. It's crazy. (laughs) But that's my story. (laughs) Thank you for coming to my podcast. Anything going on with you? Uh, not really. I mean, I've just been really busy with work. Urgent care has been crazy right now because of summer. There's people cutting themselves and there's poison ivy and tick bites. That's really every other person that comes in yeah. and allergies. So it's just been really busy at work, um, but that's good. We like busy in the urgent care. So um, yeah, I mean, nothing really else is happening to me. I just go to work and I sleep. Yeah. it's 12-hour shifts. No, pretty much same. Like, I had nothing to say before the whole Raven thing. Yeah. Besides, I've been busy and working and that's yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing really else, but... Okay, um, I'm so, excited to record, though, today. Yeah, me too. So let's get into our coffee review. Yes. Do you want to talk s- a little bit about, like, the background of this place and how it, it came about? Sure. So... The place that we're reviewing today, we're reviewing coffee from this place. They are not a coffee roaster. They're a Mm -hmm. cafe, and their name is Four Chicks Cafe Chicken and Waffles. They also have um, another place of business called Four Chicks Empanadas. Yeah. And they have some similar stuff, but they're a little bit different. Yeah. So we're reviewing from the cafe one because they're the ones... I mean, it's the same ownership, but they provided us with the coffee. Mm -hmm. And the cafe is located in Newton, New Jersey, and the empanada place is located in Franklin, New Jersey. Basically, it's it's a family-owned business, and the owners are Richard and Ari. And Richard is the cook, and Ari is... The business Four Chicks was named after Ari and their three daughters. I love that. Yeah. That's really cute. Yeah. And as far as I know, Ari mostly runs the empanada place. Mm-hmm. So she's kind of doing that. And then her husband, Richard, is running the Four the Chicks cafe. cafe. Yeah. Okay. And they moved from New York and decided to start this business because her husband really loved cooking and enjoyed it Mm -hmm. and they decided to create this business together and they moved to um new jersey and decided to start it here i love that yeah for anyone that wants to check out their um stuff their instagram is for the number four four chicks cafe um and then 
Like she said, there's a Newton and a Franklin location. The Newton one, I'll give you their address because that's the place that we're getting the coffee from. That's the cafe. It is 214 Spring Street in Newton, New Jersey. Um, they also have a Facebook. Let me open that up here. You need to look at their Instagram though because their food pictures on their Instagram are literally mouth-watering. A lot of them are reposts from me. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, their well, Facebook is for Chicks Cafe as well, so for, check them out. Well, before the pandemic, because I used to enjoy going there a lot before yeah. the pandemic, but I haven't really been there the past Yeah. Their like food is half. really good. I've only had the veggie burger from there, but that was in itself amazing. It's yeah. It's so good. So good. Their food's amazing. Yeah. And their plantains are incredible. I've never had their plantains. Oh, God, they're so good. Yeah, I need to try their chicken and waffles because the pictures I'm looking at now look amazing. Yeah. They also, if you go to their location, they have flavored coffees as well. Like, I mm -hmm. know they do pumpkin spice. I don't know if that's year-round or just around... Um, October. Yeah, probably seasonal. Yeah. This one picture that I'm looking at right now looks fucking amazing. It's like an iced coffee drink, and it's cookies and cream chocolate milk. Yeah. It looks so good. Yeah, I know they also have, like, hazelnut coffee. Most of the time when I go there, I get coconut coffee. It's mm -hmm. really good. But the coffee that we're drinking today from them is a Colombian roast with espresso and cinnamon in it. It is really so good. So it's their own little blend. If you guys haven't tried, I would try put cin putting cinnamon in any coffee you have at home because it's really good. It's a good touch. I've never done that. Really? Yeah, no. I feel like I grew up with my mom just yeah, doing she does that it. all the time. Yeah, yeah, it's really good and it's good for you, but um, I yeah. do that all the, like I do that wherever I go now. Even if I order at Starbucks, I tell them to add powdered cinnamon. Really? Yeah. I don't know why I've never tried it. Like, I don't know. It's really good though. It makes it like warmer almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I, I like this coffee as an everyday coffee. It seems to me that it's um, not too strong. Like, it's not like a dark roast. It seems to me more that it's a medium roast. You probably um, just taste the espresso that's making it a little stronger. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think it's very smooth. I definitely right off the bat taste the cinnamon, which is what I like about it. Um, and I'd probably rate this one a 7. Yeah. I also taste the cinnamon and smell it. Which is mm. delicious. <laughs> the smell of cinnamon, too, I feel like is therapeutic. Yeah, definitely. Just bathe me in cinnamon. <laughs> <laughs> but I would rate this one a 7.5. Yeah, really good. Yeah. So you need to check out Four Chicks, grab their coffee, and grab some food while you're there because their food looks amazing. I've never had the empanadas, have you? Um, yeah. They're really good? Yeah. Well, I've only had the vegetarian one. Yeah. But... Timo gets their empanadas all the time. Like, he's obsessed with them. Yum. Yeah. And I usually get, when I whenever I go there, I usually get, like, a rice bowl, and they put all the goods in it. Yummy. And their food is just really incredible, and the owners are really incredible. I love that it's family-run. Yeah. There's something special about family-run small businesses like that. Yeah, and they're just so sweet, and um, Ari, I mean, I've been going in there since they first opened. They were actually in a different location in Newton before the one that they're at now. On Spring Street. Yeah, and she has just always been the sweetest and, like, so friendly and just every single time you walk in and she sees you, she's like, oh my god, how are you? Uh, she, com like, she complimented my Crime Colton coffee shirt the one time I went in there. Oh my gosh, so Yeah, they're just earth. really, really great, great people. 
Well, thank you so much, Four Chicks, for supporting our podcast and giving us some coffee to try. Yeah. And on that note, grab Grab your coffee and and have a morning with with us. All right, everybody. Today we are going to get started with um, this case. We are going to be talking about Joe Cinque. I'm going to start off with his background as always, but before I wanted to give a quick trigger warning that this case does include details of drug use and eating disorders. So if that's something that may trigger you yourself, then I would turn this podcast off at this point in time. Yeah, definitely don't listen if you're going to be triggered by this. Yeah, so we just wanted to give that quick trigger warning before we get started. We are going to talk about Joe's background first. His na- his first name is actually Giuseppe, but he's called Joe. And like I said, his last name is Cinque. So Joe Cinque. He was 26 years old at the time of the story. He grew up in Newcastle, which was a couple hours north of Sydney, Australia. He was the oldest son of Italian immigrants, and his parents were named Maria and Nino Cinque. He lived with his parents in what was described as a quote-unquote, large Italian-Australian house. His dad, Nino, designed and built their house, which is amazing. Um, He had no radio or TV in the kitchen because they would talk around the table. Family time in their traditional Italian household. Yeah, I I remember that from my grandma's house. That was very important to them. Yeah, Yeah. when, I mean, I grew up in an Italian-American family on one side of my family, Mm -hmm. and... Like, my grandparents were in the Italian-American clubs and all that, and I remember going over my grandma's house, and the table would be so long, and everyone's sitting around it. There was nothing in that room except for the people you're talking to. Just (laughs) talking. Right. So, of course, they were a very close-knit family. Um, Let's see. Joe enjoyed weightlifting and working out with his brother, Anthony, and he also loved playing sports such as tennis, scouts, cricket, and soccer. His mom, Maria, said in an interview with Philip Adams, quote, he was the most beautiful baby. Every mother thinks that, but he was the most beautiful baby. I love that. Um, Joe was full of life, and he was very good at school. His teachers also commented a lot about how much they loved him. I love that. Um, He was very popular, had a lot of friends. He was personable. He was originally going to go into architecture, when he went to the university, but then he ended up switching to civil engineering. He loved cars, and his dad, who again is named Nino, bought him a Toyota for his first car, and then an Alfa Romeo. Eventually, he bought himself a Mazda sports car two months before the story takes place, and he loved to travel. He actually traveled around the world. Wow. So he had a great life. Yeah. Seemed like growing up, he had a brother, they had a close-knit family, everything was going well for him, he was very intelligent, he mm-hmm. was going to be an engineer, um, so he was doing well for himself. And he, he was very worldly, obviously. Yeah. I had read that he spent a good amount of time in Italy, yeah. probably because that's like his roots. His roots, right. Yeah. So now we're going to get into a relationship that he formed with a woman, and this was in 1995. Joe Cinque met Anu Singh in Newcastle, New South Wales. She was a a law student at the Australian National University. According to Joe's parents, she would call their house constantly, always want Joe to be with her, and would make up reasons for him to leave his friends and family to be with her. So some of these reasons included, I had read, she would literally tell him, like, she was sick and he needed to come over. Come and take care of her. Mm Mm-hmm. He would rack up phone bills calling her 15 times a day, 
And he also drove her to university every weekend, which was a five-hour drive each way. Which, that's a lot. Like, he went and visited her every single weekend. That's dedication. Five and a half hours? Sorry, but I would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, but no. Nah. So, Anu's parents didn't want her dating anyone while in school, and Joe told his parents that if Anu's parents ever called to ask who he was, to say that he was just a friend of Anu's brother. That's, like, right off the bat sketchy. Yeah, me. unless it's, like, a cultural thing, which... Right. I mean... I get that. But yeah. the fact that you're having to lie... About the ...is what's, like... A little, yeah. And it's just not like, like a it's little never bit been of a red flag. done before. Right. People do that all the time. Yeah. So the following year, they moved in together and lived in a flat in Canberra, Australia. And his parents were not too happy about this. His mom said she always felt there was something off about Anu. Yeah. Mother's intuition. Yeah. So we're going to get into um, some mental health issues that Anu did have. Without getting into too much detail about her. Yeah. According to friends, Anu was very obsessed with her self-image and body starting in 1991. So she briefly took Epicac, and this was apparently after Joe mentioned that it's a way for models to keep their figures. So he kind of just, like, mentioned this in conversation to her. Right, that it was, like, a not thing. even thinking yeah. of it. Who knew if he he knew she was even, like, struggling with body image or anything like that. Yeah. So, he mentioned this, and she started taking it, and then she later blamed him for it. Yeah. And that, and blamed him for her addiction to it. It's transference. Like, she's putting that onto him. Right. She's blaming him for it. She's resenting him Like, it's not her fault. It. She was, like, basically, like, I've never heard of this before, and since you're the one that said the word, said the name of it, and what it was used for... Now you got me started on it. Yeah, never mind the fact that, I mean, clearly she was struggling with something, so also, like, the mental illness side of her is the one who's deciding to then try it, but she's the one who went to the store, bought it, put it in her mouth, and continued to do it. It's not like he forced it to her, or even had it around her. He mentioned the name of it. Right. So, Anu was obsessed with fad diets and would spend hours working out at the gym. She told friends, quote, she'd rather be dead than fat. That's a really sad thing to say. Which is very, very sad. And in that aspect of this whole story, I do feel for her because Mm -hmm. clearly she battled a severe eating disorder. Yeah. And really needed help in that aspect. So, so, Joe would travel to take care of her during the week sometimes because she got really sick often. This also probably was in part to her eating disorder. Right. Remember, he's five and a half hours away and he would drop everything that he was doing during the week to go and care for her. Yeah. Sometimes during the middle of the week. Yeah. And she definitely had things on, like, mentally ill She had mental illness on top of the eating disorder. Yeah. So, apparently her eating disorder and body image problems started when her ex, Simon, told her she was not an intellect, basically calling her stupid, and I don't know how much people do or don't know listening to our podcast, but sometimes, depending on the person, eating disorders can 
come with wanting control of something. Yeah. So if someone's calling you stupid or questioning your intellect, in order to take control of that, she might have decided to then, like, control her self-image. Or, like, the way she... Yeah. Yeah, like, that was her controlling if she felt that she was not you know, smart enough to be with this person, at least she could control her image. Yeah, or be be skinny skinny enough. enough. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's sad. I, there was more about Simon and, um, the abuse and uh, I don't think there was physical abuse, but at least mental abuse stuff that he had said to her. But I honestly don't want to focus too much on that. Right. So we didn't include it. Right. And I just want to also point out that this is the only time during this entire episode and this entire case that I feel sympathy for this woman. Yeah, I agree. So at one point, she thought she had contracted AIDS, and while waiting on her test results, that, by the way, ended up being negative, Yeah. she told her friend that it was unfair that she had AIDS and Joe didn't, so she was going to put blood her blood on his toothbrush, which is, you have something severely mentally wrong severely with you. Severely wrong. And during this time, obviously, she's suffering from a severe eating disorder. Her body is reacting in ways that it's it's crying for help. Like, something is wrong. She's not, she's not giving herself nutrition. And it's messing up with... It's messing with her brain. Right. So, she's coming up with all of these things. She came... She became convinced that she had AIDS. She said that she had neuromuscular disorders. And some of them... Uh, some of the things that she thought of she said could have been because Joe was poisoning her this entire time and she was getting a disease from the poison. So she had, like, delusions as well. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, malnutrition and having an eating disorder would affect the chemical balance of your brain and stuff. Right. But I feel like also it was the stuff she was taking probably was making things happening to her like why didn't she consider that like oh maybe I should stop taking this epicac because maybe that's what's making me feel like absolute shit yeah I don't think she was thinking honestly and the thing is too like with um with this this body image thing and with all of the the things that are happening to her own body at one point in time like during this period before you know we get further into the story she was telling her friends and family that she felt like her skin was crawling. She mm-hmm. felt like she had bugs all over her. Like, these are physical things that are happening from her eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And possibly more mental, mental illness. Yeah. yeah. I had also heard that um, her parents did try to put her on, like, meds for certain things. And... She refused to take some of the meds because it would make her gain weight. Yeah. Which, again, that's fueled by the eating disorder. Right. And that also is fueled by this, like, fad diet culture where it's so sad that a woman will not take, or even a man, a man who, men can struggle with eating disorders too, Mm -hmm. someone won't take something that'll make them feel better or help their mental health because they're going to gain weight. Yeah. And I I heard somewhere as well that during this point in time, her parents knew there was something mentally wrong and they tried two, three times to get her um, admitted to a mental hospital Mm -hmm. and they basically told her parents that because she's not a danger to herself, like... AKA she didn't try committing suicide or she didn't try harming somebody else that mm-hmm. they could not involuntarily admit her. So, and she obviously didn't want to stay there voluntarily. So there was no way to 
keep her and get her the help that she needed. Which is sad. And yeah. things like that need to change. I know. So, May of 1997, Anu Singh told a friend that she wanted to kill several people. These people included Joe Chinque, her ex-boyfriend Simon Walsh, and her doctors that she labeled incompetent because they couldn't find a cure to what was going on in her head and her body. There were reports that Anu was telling were tell, was telling her friends and classmates that she attempted to buy a gun, but basically the classmate that she told this to thought she was joking and was like, "Good luck finding it." Like, "Oh, have fun. Did you get that gun?" Like joking about it. When somebody tells you that they're going to kill somebody and attempting like attempting to buy a gun, why would you think that's a joke? And whether you're I mean, whether you're I don't want to say stupid enough, but stupid enough to think it's a joke or not, report it. Right. Just in case. Just report it. Just in case. <laughs> so when she was unable to obtain the gun that she was talking about, she started buying heroin and she was experimenting on herself with doses and what would do what to her body and um, like what effects it would have um, for dosing and how to administer the heroin. That's like almost sadistic, honestly. <sighs> yeah. So now we're going to talk um, a little bit further about her plan that she had of killing people. October of 1997, a news close friend, Madhavi Rao, invited people to two dinner parties and told them that a crime would be committed. Did one, these people go there thinking it was going to be one of those, like... Like murder mysteries? Yeah. I don't know what the fuck these people were thinking, but we'll talk about it when we get there because I am heated about it. And the fact that they were all, like, going, most, a lot of them, if not all of them, were going to school to become lawyers and stuff. Did they think it like, was going to be, like, a case study? Like, what? Did they, what, what were they, th- or were they just going along for the ride and, like, yeah, like, this is fine. Wanting to see what happened. Yeah. I don't understand that. One article said that these parties, these dinner parties that they were throwing were, like, send-off parties or farewell parties. Basically saying that she was saying goodbye, Anu was saying goodbye, This was her send-off party because she was going to commit suicide. And she told her classmates this. She told everybody that was invited to this party that she was going to commit suicide except for Joe. Joe was the only one that had no idea about what was going on Mm -hmm. and nobody told him. Um, She said that she not only was going to take her life, but she was going to take Joe's life. This is, like, one of the most mind-blowing things about this story to me is that not a single fucking person spoke up in general thought this was insane yeah or said anything to joe like even if you thought that that was true and happening wouldn't you go up to joe and be like hey do you know or or just be like (laughs) why are you planning on taking your own life right at that point he would have clearly said i am not yeah (laughs) i don't know what you're talking about i don't understand it i don't understand how there was a group of people who went along with two parties of And keeping somebody completely in the dark. Yeah. Basically, Anu labeled this as a suicide pact, and she kind of bullied her guests into not speaking a word of it to Joe. I mean, a couple of them had mentioned, like, I'm going to say something, I'm going to bring it up, and she, I don't know how, but she convinced them not to. Yeah, but how? And at that point, wouldn't you be like, okay, he clearly has no idea what the fuck's going on. I'm reporting this. Yeah. How did not one person speak up or report it? It blows my mind. I read somewhere that somebody, that everybody had basically thought that 
it was too silly to actually be a serious claim. Like, the stuff that she was saying um, was too outlandish to even be, like, a real thing. Because she's made multiple claims in the past and nothing has happened. So they were like, oh, this is kind of like the, you know, the boy calling wolf. There's not like a single, like, and I'm not trying to put the blame. Well, even though, I mean, yeah, part of the blame should be put on those people. Should be on these people. Right. Yeah. But how does not one person have a fucking moral conscience where they're like, this is wrong. Let me at least report this to, like, campus security. Yeah. Like, I don't understand. Well, part of it also might be because I had read in an article that, um, really, her only, like, Anu's only close friend was Madhavi. Mm-hmm. And all these other people they invited were just acquaintances. So they didn't, didn't really, really know, know them well. Right. But that's even more of a reason to report someone. I Like, wouldn't you be like, oh, my God. Something's wrong here. Something, like, I don't. I barely know this person, and she's inviting me to a party to, like, commit send suicide. her off to for her to commit suicide and the other guy to be murdered. Like, if ha- somebody said that to me, I would literally, I would not say a word, and then I would go to the police. Yeah, like that is just insane to me that nobody has once said anything. I'd be like, I'm sorry, I can't make your party. Yeah, and then I'd walk dialing out the police. <laughs> This bitch is trying to kill herself and her boyfriend, and she's making a party out of it. Oh, my God. So, a little background of Anu and Madhavi. Remember, Madhavi is the uh, friend that she had at at school, and she was the one that was helping her plan these dinner parties. So, they were both from a very strict Indian family growing up. That's just a little side note. Um, I guess that's, you know, how they related through all of this. Um, And sometime before the dinner party... They'd made copies from the library of books that talked about assisted suicide and how people had the right to die. So, I have no words. Like, at that point, didn't somebody see this going on, like, in the library or, like, I just don't understand. Or, I mean, clearly, Madhavi had mental health issues as As, well. Right, exactly. Because there is no way someone in their right mind could go along with this and go to those steps, and especially knowing your, like, your close friend is struggling with something and allowing her to do it and, put like, helping pretty her. much encouraging her you're to do it. You're helping her. Yeah. You're, you're copying pages about, um, like, legal cases about how people have the right to die and how you should help them. Like, what the fuck? And how you can pretty much get away with it. Yeah. So, now we're on to October 24th of 1997, which was the first dinner party. So, Sanjeeva Tenakun, which who, he was, or they were an acquaintance acquaintance at the party, said that basically everything was normal at the party, and Joe and Anu seemed, like, loving, they were happy together at the party, and nothing seemed wrong, which maybe at that point they were like, okay... Like, this whole send-off thing is a joke. Like, But then what's the point of the party in the first place if right. that's her reasoning for the party? Right, and why are you sitting there like a fly on the wall just watching it happen? That's like, of course, so disturbing. Of course they're going to sit there and pretend like she's going to pretend like they're happy and like nothing is wrong. If she didn't, there would be red flags raised and that would completely ruin her plan. Yeah. You know? So, another person that was there said that Anu tried to kill Joe that night, but was unsuccessful. 
So this person person actually threatened to go to the police. But didn't. But didn't. But somehow, didn't. somehow Anu convinced them not to go to the police. Um so basically the way she tried attempting to kill Joe that night was after the party was over, after the dinner, Joe had a cup of coffee and Anu laced it with rehypnol, which is a sedative, and she put a lot of rehypnol in his coffee and it completely knocked him out. She then tried to inject Joe with heroin to kill him, but basically she was having trouble because she put too much heroin in the needle and the concentration was too high, so it congealed in the needle and she was unable to inject it into Joe. Divine intervention. Yeah. At that point. Exactly. I just can't even believe that that you're this, like, mentally messed up. That you not only knock him out, like, this was a planned out thing. Yeah. She knocked him out with a sedative and then tried to inject him with heroin that was too concentrated to even go through the needle. And planned out enough that you planned a fucking party for it. Yeah. And planned out enough that you printed things about it. Yeah. And then... Like, you still, I don't understand how, like, that was the moment right there for her to be like, okay, it didn't work. I messed why up. did I, why did I even decide to do, what is wrong with me? I need help. The, the fact that this is so planned out in her head and that this was premeditated and that at no point she strayed from her plan other than when it didn't work to kill him. Right. Just shows that she knew exactly what she was doing. Yeah, and had the mental capacity to understand what she was doing and further try to accomplish it. Right. If her brain was jumbled from this eating disorder and the effects that it caused on her body and her mental health, it wouldn't be something so planned and so like ex- so perfectly executed. Yeah. Like it would be all jumbled, there would be mistakes everywhere. I feel like it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And the I feel like the congealing in the needle would have almost been, like, that wake-up call where you're like, what the fuck was I thinking? Yeah. Like, like, what am I doing? Okay, this didn't work. Thank God it didn't work. What am I doing? Yeah. So, actually, the day after the first party, Anu and Mad Javi went to their friend named Len Mancini and said that they had given Joe drugs the night before. What the fuck, Len? Yeah, did you call the police, Len? Clearly not. I don't understand, I, like I said, that's part of the most, I mean, all, this entire case is so mind-blowing and frustrating and just gets my fucking blood boiling, but the people, all the people involved who sat back and did fucking nothing. Like, how was there a conversation that happened where that was even maybe casually brought up and not alarming in any way to yeah. Len, yeah. to be like, I'm telling somebody? Yeah. So now we're on to October 25th, 1997, which is the second dinner party because (laughs) she decided to continue on with her plan. That also blows my mind that, like, just two nights in a row, she's like, okay, I'm going to try again. Yeah. And then nobody said anything. She had a plan and she was determined to... Make it happen. Yeah. She knew what she was doing. (sighs) On this night, he was given another dose of Rohypnol after dinner in his coffee to sedate him. He was then injected with a dose of heroin by his girlfriend, Anu, 
and Ross Manley, an an acquaintance at the party, claimed that Anu bought more heroin from Manley's friend on the morning of October 26th. So I had read in an article that this happened because when she dosed him this second dinner party time and then injected him, Mm -hmm. he basically was, like, knocked out and he slept through that night and part of the next day and then he woke up. Right. So he still hadn't died from it, but I only read that in one article, so I don't know if that's it. I've heard a couple things as well saying that because of how physically fit he was and his body was able to kind of fight off the effects of the heroin to make it, like, last a little bit longer. Yeah. So then once she got this, once she bought more heroin from Manly's friend... That's when she then gave him another lethal dose of heroin. So October 26, 1997, Anu called an ambulance for Joe at 12.10 p.m. And now we will insert this 911 call. So, first of all, I'd like to point out how fucking calm she is when her boyfriend is overdosing from what she just gave him. And she said potential overdose. Clearly the 911 operator is like, what do you mean potential overdose? Mm -hmm. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And I also noticed how she said, I have a man here or a person here. Like, wouldn't you refer to your boyfriend as his name or be like my boyfriend my boy like wouldn't you like being frantic about it yeah and I mean we've mentioned in other episodes that you can't really ever judge how someone reacts to a situation everyone reacts differently but for what the situation was it's just all red flags to point to her being involved to it yeah because she was like not even panicked she was saying things that didn't make sense Right. And just really quickly, I wanted to add, and I forgot to mention earlier, that obviously Anu knew Joe didn't do heroin prior to this. Mm -hmm. And when she went to the drug dealer for this heroin, she said, I need something enough to kill a civilian that does not do heroin, that has never done it before. What is enough? And they basically experimented like, oh, this would be enough, this is too little, this is too much. He, They came to an amount, I think it was like $150 worth, and she bought double that. So this piece of shit also like, collaborated on her with it. Yeah. The person that sold I the drugs. I honestly can't. There's just so many times where this could have been stopped and prevented, and it just wasn't. And she just happened to find every piece of shit living in that area, and collaborated with them. Yep. So, or, I mean, people also obviously clearly struggling from mental illness. Yeah. But... That doesn't excuse the action. No. No. Because someone at some point could have spoken up, is what it comes down to. Yeah. So, you guys heard the 911 call, and the ambulance could not respond quickly to this situation because Anu 
gave a false address to paramedics for 20 minutes. What the fuck? Probably just, like, prolonging it to make sure that he actually was dead. died. Yeah. yeah. When they arrived, responders found that he had had a cardiac arrest, and Joe Chinque died from this. Oh my God. It reportedly, and this part makes me absolutely sick, it reportedly took him 36 hours to die, and she watched this happen the entire time. Just sat back and watched the whole thing. Yeah. Which, I'm not a medical professional, but, or like a psychiatrist, psychologist, but I feel like this girl is a fucking full-blown psychopath. Psychopath. Yeah, I agree. There is no remorse for her actions. She, and she, I feel like she's also, like, narcissistic because everything is her, she's, like, playing victim, victim, but nothing's her fault. Nothing's her fault. She's the victim in all of this. Yeah. It's sickening. So, another report said she called the ambulance 36 hours after the lethal dose. So, that was kind of... Was it 36 hours that it took him to die, or was it 36 hours this whole process till she called an ambulance? Yeah. So, just wanted to throw both of those things in there, because it wasn't really 100% clear. Right. I pray it did not take this man 36 hours to die. Yeah. Because that is fucking sickening. Like, I want to cry thinking about it. Yeah. She did not once try to inject herself. Meanwhile, this was supposed to be a suicide. Let's do bunny ear quotes packed and toxicology reports later showed high levels of rohypnol and heroin in his body clearly because yeah yeah. when police arrived at the scene anu was his uh anu was quote hysterical and struggled with police and ambulance officers when they took her away from chinque's body and that, that was a quote from wikipedia she told police she had administered drugs to joe and Detective Sergeant Greg Rance, worked, he worked on the case, said that they later found out that Anu had first asked around for where to buy a gun mm-hmm. and then decided to obtain drugs instead when the gun plan was too difficult to, like, carry through with. Yeah, and I also, she also talked to, I think it was the drug dealer, basically saying, like, or somebody, basically asking, like, what was it like, what would it be like to die from heroin like, an overdose, and they said it's, like, a a peaceful, quick death. So that, in her mind, was, like, okay, great. Let me do that. I cannot take how fucking evil people are. It's disgusting. Like, how do you give somebody with mental health issues that information? Yeah. And even if you didn't know they had mental health health issues... Why are they asking about how to kill someone? Yes. (laughs) Like, what? (sighs) So moving on to the trial... Because clearly, she murdered someone. Yeah. October 28th, 1997 is the first time Singh appeared in court. And she told police that she injected Joe with heroin so he could, couldn't could interfere or stop her suicide attempt. Which, there was no suicide attempt. Yeah. Ever. Not once. Ever. Not once. And you think if that was the plan, she would have injected him and then injected herself and then that would have been the end of it. And he hopefully wouldn't have died, actually. But she didn't even do it. Mm-hmm. So Rao, which was her friend that made the copies in the library with her mm-hmm. and helped plan the dinner party with her, was charged with conspiracy to commit murder and released on bail on November 5th. 
Singh applied for bail in December and a a psychiatrist basically presented to the court that she has a personality disorder, which, yeah, maybe she does, but, um, she still knew how to plan a fucking murder. Yeah. Prosecution said she was someone that held strong narcissistic traits, which, yeah. Exactly. Both Singh and Rao were tried in October and November of 1998, but this was stopped on November 11th after they decided to both, to, um, try both women separately. So they decided to give them separate trials, which I think was a... I think that was a smart, smart idea. Yeah. They're two separate people that did two separate different crazy, horrible things. Mm-hmm. So now we're on to April 23rd of 1999. Singh was found not guilty of murder due to diminished responsibility. <laughs> Basically, I what... Just, I just choked on my coffee <laughs> <laughs> and I've read this already. <laughs> Multiple times. Basically, diminished responsibility is when there is a potential defense by excuse by which defendants argue that although they broke the law... They should not be held fully criminally liable for doing so as their mental functions were quote-unquote diminished or impaired. I have a lot to say about that regarding her. Yeah. I think diminished responsibility, yes, that comes into play for certain situations where someone's mentally incapable. Right, where somebody describes you know, doing a horrible act and blacking out. They don't remember any of it. And then coming to and realizing, oh my gosh. Like, that's diminished responsibility. Not pre-planning the whole fucking thing. Knowing what you're doing. Yeah. Throwing parties for it. Trying again when it fails the first time. That is not diminished responsibility. No. You knew exactly what you were doing. You knew right from wrong. And... When hearing this woman woman speak, she is, never mind the fact that she went, like, she's, like, had, had been going to law school and stuff, yeah. right? She is an intelligent, like, she's an intellectual. She speak. she knows how to speak, she knows what she's talking about, and she presents things where, like, she knew what she was doing. Yeah. 100%. This case pisses me off. My blood is fucking boiling. (laughs) So, during the trial, she proposed, or they proposed an insanity defense, and the court was told that it was believed that Singh was dying from a muscle-wasting disease and bulimia combined, which she probably was, but... And like I'd mentioned earlier about how she talked about feeling like um, she had bugs crawling on her, she also claimed at this time that, quote... She was not able to feel her head on her body. So that was just, I guess, how she was feeling. And Okay, but you still were coherent enough to fully plan a murder. Right, and actually, they brought in an expert witness to the court that said that she appeared rational and asserted that, um, and assertive that night that she was arrested. Yeah. So she knew what she was doing. It was rationally planned. Yeah. Singh was only found guilty of manslaughter. In Rao's second trial, she was charged with murder, manslaughter, attempted murder, and administering a stupefying drug. She was acquitted of all charges at some point in time and ended up moving overseas where she is now married with children. I cannot handle the outcome of this case. I can't. So remember that, that I just talked about was Maud Hobby, her friend. That was the outcome of her case. How 
are, first of all, I don't even understand why these people are being charged with manslaughter. How is it this not murder? This isn't manslaughter. This is full-blown, plotted-out murder. Yeah. Completely murder. You took a human being's life, and you more than planned for it. Yeah. You printed stuff out at the fucking library for it. Yeah. How are you be- not being charged with taking this man's life away? The worst part is, of it all, June 24th, 1999, Anu Singh was sentenced to 10 years with four years of non-parole period. 10 years imprisonment. That's what she got for premeditating and planning the murder of her boyfriend. Well, because she was charged with manslaughter. Yeah. Which is like... Ten years. That's what his family had to deal with. Ten years. That's all they got for her, for justice for his their not, son. Not even. Not even, yeah. So, now we'll go into the aftermath. That was the end of the trial. While in jail, she was able to finish her law degree and a master's degree in criminology with a thesis on the causes of female crime. I'm out. Podcast over. Like, I just want to stop The now. podcast is over. She was able to fucking do this from prison... And basically used what she had done to her boyfriend as part of her thesis. Like, what? That makes absolutely no sense to me. How this woman could even be finishing a degree, let alone writing a paper on it and people, like, more or less, like, applauding her for that paper or using that to help. Yeah. Yeah. To help further understand how people like her can commit a fucking crime. And let's point out that this was all done while she was in prison on taxpayers' dollars. Yeah, so everyone in Australia... Had to fucking... Paid for this woman to get a degree. After she murdered her boyfriend. So, she actually used to attend classes at the University of Sydney on day release from the minimum security Emu Plains Women's Prison. Mm -hmm. So, basically, she was allowed to go on a day-by-day basis to the University of Sydney to go to these classes. To finish How her degree. is this allowed? I feel fucking terrible for Joe's family that they had to <sighs> sit back and watch this and that the justice system basically failed them and, his, and their son. Completely. And completely. The justice system did fail him in every single way, shape, and form because not only were the people all involved in this who didn't speak up, not charged with something. They should all be charged with accessory. Yeah. They were all sitting there fucking watching this unfold and knew about it. Yep. Not only were they not charged, but then the people who were more intricate in the plan and the person who... Did it. knew who did it and plot out the whole thing were not fucking served the way they should be. Yeah, so... In October of 2001, Anu was released on parole after serving four years in prison out of the 10 year, because the four were non, or non-parole. She served four years, and that was it, in prison. Probably because they were like, oh, time served for, like, the amount of time she yeah. had been in there, which is absolute bullshit. She fucking murdered somebody. Four years is what they got, she got. It's disgusting. I don't understand how that happens. People do better. Do better because, and I'm talking about bystanders to situations like this too, do better. And then the justice system. Yeah. Like things, I mean, granted this was in 2001 at this point. So hopefully 
things have gotten a lot better since then. I don't know the ins and outs of the justice system, but whether they have or haven't, things like this cannot fucking happen. No. So in April of 2004, Anu returned to jail because she violated parole conditions by smoking marijuana. And then August 5th, 2004, she was again released after challenging her re-imprisonment on a technicality. Oh my god. Like, I'm gonna throw up. How do you even let her challenge it when she killed someone? This woman should rot in prison. And she's saying a technicality? Like, Like, you smoke marijuana. How is that a technicality? You violated your parole. And, I mean, it should be any little thing violates her parole. Yeah. Like, this person should not even be walking the streets. No. And this is our personal opinion. Yeah, we're not saying this is fact and this is right, but this is what we believe. Yeah, because, I'm sorry, I have a fucking moral compass. Yeah. But this is just absurd. This whole thing is absolutely absurd. And like you said, I feel so sorry for his family and so sorry for him because he has not gotten the justice that he deserved. He was totally blindsided by all of this. Yeah. So, Satiris Danukos made a film about what had happened, and it was based on the book written in 2004 by Helen Garner, Garner called Joe Cinque's Consolation. And Danukos, I hope I'm saying that right, Right? I yeah, think that's, that's what right. it is. Mm-hmm. Danukos was actually in the same class as Anu, and the film poses the question of, quote, why didn't anyone step in to help a clearly mentally stable, un- unstable person? Rather than, quote, how could she have done this? So, okay. I, like we've said before, we're mental health advocates. Like, yeah. we, we believe that Mental health should be openly talked about without feeling shame about it. And that people should get the help they need. need. Mm -hmm. Yes. And in certain situations, mental health may cause someone to do something without knowing that they did it. right? Right. But in this situation... For days and days. Yeah. And for you to be posing the question and your whole film is based around... Why didn't anyone step in to help a clearly mentally unstable person? That's part of it. Yes, part of it. But this whole thing is not about her. No. This is about Joe. They're shifting the blame from her and what she had done to why didn't anyone stop it? Right. Like, that pisses me instead off. Instead of how could she have even done this? How could this person even plan this out and commit this heinous crime mm-hmm. on someone like the blame needs to be put on her yeah she was at fault she did everything she took these steps the blame needs to be put on her because clearly yeah she's a narcissist so she's deflecting everything onto everyone else and right. she's like i don't know even when she's asked a question in an interview she's like i don't know i don't how know I how i did she has no answer for like anything dear- when it's regarding herself and her actions. Like a deer in the fucking headlights. Yeah. And I don't want to speak for Joe's family because I don't know how they feel. They may feel that the film did a great job at portraying what actually happened, but this is, again, our opinion. We don't know how they feel, and they are the most important people in all of this, but honestly, the film kind of pisses me off. It 
it, I watched the trailer of it, and it looks like it's a rom-com, like a, dramatiza- a dramatization of what happened to somebody's life and the sadness that, that came of it. And yeah. it's, they're basically just, I don't know. That's sickening. I don't know how his family feels about it, but it would, it makes me mad. I know that I read in one article, and this was one article, so take it as you will, but I read in one article that they were happy with the book that was that written. That it was based off of. But again, just because this film was based on the book, based. That can mean yeah. loosely based. Yeah. The film might have been, like you said, way more dramatized than the book. Yeah. So, um, Danukos also says that Anu and her friend purposely picked guests for their dinner parties that they could control and people that did have friends or family nearby, or that didn't have friends or family nearby because they were exchange students. Like, they handpicked these people that would just sit there and watch and not say anything. Awful. Which, again, shows the planning and, It was perfectly planned. Psychotic. Yeah. That's all I have to say. This case has become one of Australia's most, uh, this is a quote, most notable and twisted crimes. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. And there was one article that interviewed 44-year-old Anu, and here are some of the quotes she said. Ugh. Uh, <sighs> hold on, let me catch my breath because I'm so angry. <sighs> all right. Quote. I am desperate to turn back the clock. There are just many things that people don't understand. It's just awful being referred to as a killer, a murderer. Fucking deal with it, It is not about you. Deal with it. You should be called a murderer. You are a murderer. Yeah. You are a killer. You are a murderer. And this whole thing isn't about you. Like, again, like, this is where the narcissism and possible, like, psychotic nature comes in or sociopathic nature, whatever she is. You're making it about you. You're saying, oh, it's awful. These people don't understand my side of the story. They don't Mm-mm. understand. It's awful being called these with names. Yeah. Joe is dead. Because of Joe, you. Joe, you murdered Joe. He has, no, like, he, he's not even here to defend himself. And you're going to be the victim and benefit from this. That makes me, oh my god, my blood is boiling. Same. A quote from Maria, Joe's mom. Quote, I would ask her why you really killed him. Don't tell me this bullshit about you didn't know what you are doing because I don't believe you. I never, ever forgive her as long as I live. She better not come near me. I never, ever forgive her. I don't blame you. Um, I, I wouldn't either. Yeah, I full-blown back Maria's statement. Another quote from Maria. I call you the devil and you are the devil. Monster, you have destroyed my family. You have killed the most precious thing I have in my life. I don't want to see your face anymore. Go away. That's like the saddest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, and she is a monster. She is. Yeah. So we had mentioned already a couple um, books and films that were out about the case, but I'm going to list ones that are additional to that as well. So in 2004, the book that we had talked about again by Helen Gardner was Joe Cinque's Consolation, and that was also made into the film that we had mentioned. In 2005, there was a documentary called Atonement. August 2007, a play called Criminology was performed at Melbourne's Malt House Theater. In 2009, the film The Dinner Party was made. It was featured on an episode of the TV shows Deadly Women and Crimes That Shook Australia. 
I think both of those are, like, ID channel shows, Yeah, too. it sounds like. I think Deadly Woman yeah. I've seen before on ID. In 2018, it was covered by True Crime Island, which was a podcast. And in 2019, it was covered by Case File, which was an Australian true crime podcast. And we also linked that podcast um, in our resources because we had used some of their information as well. Because it was a very in-depth podcast about I this case. I love Case File. Yeah. For anyone who has not listened to Case File, listen to Case File because the way he covers his cases and, like, his speaking voice, his presentation, everything is just amazing. I've yeah. been listening. I think that podcast has been out since 2016-ish, I want to say. Right. And I've been listening to that since he's, like, since he started. Not only is his, like, presentation and his information so great, his voice, his voice is so soothing. Yeah. He's Australian, and it's just very soothing to listen to. Yeah, and he gets, like, all the details and, yeah. um... I mean, another great thing that I love about him is no one knows who the podcaster is. I didn't know that until you told me that right before we started recording today, and I think that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, and he... I mean, I, I actually had heard for the first time about C, uh, Sabina and Ursula's case mm-hmm. from Case File, which if you guys haven't listened, that was episode two of our podcast. Yeah. Yeah, I heard it for the very first time on his podcast. Yeah, that's a really good podcast. Give them a listen. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that's the end of the case of Joe Cinque. And again, we did not want to go into any more detail about Anu's past, like her life. She just doesn't deserve it. And this podcast episode should be more about Joe than anybody. So if you want to know more about Anu, look it up on your own because honestly, we don't care. Yeah. We can give two shits. (laughs) And about Anu. And. The only reason we covered her mental health aspect was because it was part of the case and part of what happened. Otherwise, we would have only talked about Joe, and that's that. Yeah. And sadly, we we always like to end our cases with something happy, and with this case, I really don't think that there's anything happy. I don't either. The family got nothing. A new benefited most out of anybody. Yeah. And she's the one that caused the horrible crime that that happened i don't understand how the court system and like people involved in her trials and stuff were fooled by it me either i don't understand that like the evidence yeah we don't even know all the ins and outs of it that i'm sure they talked about in the trial Mm -hmm. and the evidence is clear to us yeah and we're just two podcasters sitting on a couch in a hangout room. <laughs> <laughs> and it was fucking blatant. Yeah. To us. Yeah. So I and don't I'm sure understand. it will be to you and to everybody else that listens and hears about this case. <laughs> but I feel like when it comes to a case like this, how how did all these people get off with it? Like, I, I don't understand. How are they out there living their fucking lives when Joe's was taken so brutally from him? I don't know, but it makes me sick. It makes me sick. <laughs> and I think we'll end it there because that was the only happy part of our yeah. podcast. Sorry, guys. Hocus Pocus. Hocus Pocus was the highlight. <laughs> 
All right, guys, so before we end this episode, we felt like it was a good time to mention some resources if you or somebody you know is struggling with mental health, substance abuse, eating disorders, any of the above or more. Um, we wanted to provide some resources. Uh, the one that I'm going to talk about is SAMHSA, which stands for Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Um, so the helpline they have is free, confidential, 24-7, 365 days a year. There's treatment referral and information service in both English and Spanish, and it's for individuals and families facing mental and or substance use disorders. And the phone number is 1-800-662-HELP, help. And the numbers for HELP are 4357. So call them if you are struggling um, with mental health issues or uh, substance abuse disorders. Completely anonymous. Mm-hmm. So there's also a website for NIDA, which is the National Eating Disorder Association, if you're struggling with an eating disorder. The National Eating Disorder Association, aka NIDA, is the largest nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting individuals and families affected by eating disorders. NIDA supports individuals and families affected by eating disorders and serves as a catalyst for prevention, cures, and access to quality care. So you can access any of their information through their website, which is nationaleatingdisorders.org, or if you just type in NIDA into a search bar, it'll come up. Mm -hmm. You can find them on Instagram. And then also on Instagram is Project Heal, which I find very resourceful, and I, like, I follow them and look at their stuff all the time. Just, they put very... uh, supportive and reassuring messages on their page and then they also provide lots of resources that's important yeah so project heal is just like that on instagram and they have a link tree where you can find all their info they in their bio it says we help break down systemic healthcare and financial barriers to treatment so they're very very helpful very helpful we wanted to also throw in that um, me and Brand want to be very open with you guys as our listeners and as hard as it is, <laughs> as hard as it is, this case kind of hits both things that we have struggled with in the past in our personal lives. Um, I think I'd mentioned it before, but my mom has passed away five years ago now from an overdose. So, um, just take a look at the resources if you need help. There's absolutely no shame in that. Mm-hmm. Um, y- if you need help, you need help. And if you know somebody that needs help and you can get them help as well, then do it. There's really no shame in it. Um, People struggle with it all the time. Yeah. And I, I mean, throughout my life, I haven't opened up to most people about this because I'm the type of person where I'm like, if you don't know me, really, why should you know my personal business? Mm -hmm. So my close friends and family know, but I feel comfortable opening up to you guys. (laughs) Why not? Why not? (laughs) Um... So, in the past, I have struggled with an eating disorder, and this had been probably since uh, beginning of college-ish Yeah. for years, and um, basically, I've been in recovery for, I think, almost 10 years now. That's so it's amazing. A big one. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah, thank you. And, um, yeah... I mean, struggling with an eating disorder, there was a lot of factors that went into mine, which I'm not going to get into. Yeah. 
but basically those who have struggled with it or know someone who struggled it knows and the same with mental health it's not a linear path yeah you have your good days and you have your bad days and I mean I'm 10 years into recovery and there's days where I'm all kinds of fucked up in my in my head about things and I'm like falling back into same the same patterns or um having those thoughts creep back in and um I've learned ways to cope with it and make sure like I always say like if some if I'm having a bad period I have people I can reach out to yeah um I know my triggers so I try to avoid those and when they do happen because they do happen I try to stay ahead of it like I'm I know the things I need to do and the steps I need to take to try to stay ahead of it and I have had my backtrack moments. Everybody does with But healing. everyone does, yeah. yeah. And like Kelsey said, there's no shame in it. And, um, yeah, I feel like looking at Nita's resources, if you are struggling with an eating disorder, is very important. And especially with the way society is this today, I feel like there's a lot more people that struggle with it. Mm-hmm. Men, women. Everybody. Everyone. If you identify as something else, mm-hmm. someone, like, another identifying factor besides a man or a woman mm-hmm. everyone struggle like there anyone can struggle from it and yeah. we wanted to give like our personal side of it in case reaching out to an anonymous source isn't something that you'd want to do you can always reach out to us we're here not saying we're going to be able to provide you the help you need yeah but if you want to talk you can you can definitely talk to us yeah kelsey kelsey's a healthcare professional <laughs> i'm not but we're both also not mental health experts no So, um, but we just do want to throw it out there that if you do feel comfortable reaching out to us, you always can. We are here if you're the, if we are the only people that you'd feel comfortable talking to, it's a starting point, so. Yeah. Yeah. And we're proud of you all. And we we love you all. We love you all. (laughs) And we hope that these resources help if, even if you suspect someone you know is struggling. Yes. Don't sit back and let it happen. Reach out to them because from personal experience, I know I, I know some people, and we, we actually just said this today with approaching families who have lost loved ones that, whose cases we're covering, sometimes you feel a little awkward approaching it, you don't know if it's gonna upset them or trigger them, per, I mean, this is probably on a person-to-person basis, but personally, I find it comforting when people ask me how I'm doing. Yeah. That know about it. Yeah. Instead of knowing about it and never even mentioning it Like walking around it, dancing around it. Yeah. Just because they don't know how to approach it, which yeah. it's totally fine. You don't have to know how to approach it you've ne- if you've never gone through it. Right. But bringing it up is helpful. Yes. So, on that on note. On that note. <laughs> see ya. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> no, we can't end it like I that. I know. But yeah, um, reach out to us and we can provide those links and phone numbers again if you want like them written down in a written form. So, mm-hmm. let us know. All right. Until next week. Bye, everyone. We love you. Love Bye. you guys. regarding this case and our resources follow us at crime cults and coffee on instagram and facebook